Hello, and welcome to the Selling St. Pete podcast, your go-to resource for all things real estate and all things St. Pete. I'm your host, Nicole Sanchez. Hello, and welcome to the Selling St. Pete podcast. My guest today is John Barcello with Value Centric, and we are going to be talking about appraisals. Thank you for joining me. Well, thanks for the invite, Nicole. Very much appreciated. Before we get started, I'd love for you to tell listeners a little bit about yourself. Sure. I am a native of the Bay Area. I was actually born and raised in Tampa, graduated from Plant High School, and um, met a lovely lady about 27 years ago and was lucky enough to become a resident of Pinellas County, um, where we have raised our two children. And now I'm a partner in Value Centric, an employee-based appraisal firm. And and Angela and I are actually looking to move back to Tampa now. Really? Back <laughs> across the bridge. Always. Life always comes full circle, it seems, right? That's right. Absolutely. So why did you or how did you get into the appraisal business? So a bit of a long story. Um, my my first father-in-law, and I've only had two, my first <laughs> father-in-law founded a little company called Mortgage Contracting Services in, back in Tampa back in, uh, in the mid-80s. And... It's a default servicing company, and I did a lot of property inspection and field review work on um, uh, properties that were going into default on their mortgage. So I, I kind of learned it, learned valuing properties to to uh, from a foreclosure standpoint rather than an origination standpoint. I got divorced a few years into that, so MCS now a huge company. I'm not part of that, unfortunately, but. Um, I was lucky enough to to spend about 20 years in third-party logistics after that, and actually the transportation industry. And in 2009, um, a family member formed an appraisal management company, um, and that appraisal management company was based here in Pinellas County, and I and I went to work for them. And and shortly after joining them, I I figured out what was going on in the appraisal industry and. Shortly thereafter, made a change, but that's okay. that's what got me here, and I've been active in it since since two thousand nine here in the Bay Area. Outstanding! So ten years, going on eleven. A decade going on eleven, absolutely. Yeah. And you survived. <laughs> <laughs> a lot more gray than when I started, but <laughs> aren't we all? Thank goodness for hair dye. Well, um, today we're going to be talking about appraisals, and I thought it was important to do so for a few reasons. And I'll preface this by saying residential appraisals, because there are all sorts of kinds of appraisals. But for this podcast, our focus is going to be residential. Um, But for consumers who haven't purchased or sold a property in the last several years, the regulation surrounding appraisals has changed quite a bit. So we're going to talk a little bit about um, what those changes are and why they were enacted. Um, For customers looking to secure financing, it's good to know what an appraisal is because obviously that's going to be probably one of the contingencies with their deal, uh, what's involved with the process, what the costs are associated with obtaining an appraisal. Um, And for cash buyers, Appraisals and an appraisal contingency can be a great tool to ensure a buyer's not overpaying because that's 
usually one of the buyer's biggest fears is they don't want to overpay for a property. Absolutely. Um, and then fourth and finally, to discuss instances in which an appraisal may not be necessary. Um, so with all that said, let's get to it. Um, what is an appraisal and how is it used? Um, so in the residential world that we're talking about today, uh, an appraisal is basically defined as an opinion of value. And for the mortgage-related or, or residential-type appraisals, it is a specific date and time value, which is the date and time that the appraiser physically inspects the property. Okay. So any comparable sales that were done on that day or prior are allowed to be considered for the value. Um, but in it, at its core and at its base, it is, it is a certified appraiser's opinion of value. And so if you have three different appraisers perform a, an appraisal on the same home, potentially you get three different values. Um, potentially, I would say potentially 99.9% that you're going to receive three different values from three different appraisers. Because appraisal is an, is an art mm -hmm. um, with a little bit of science behind it, um, it's an opinion. And everyone's opinion is going to vary just a little bit. The common um, variance acceptable standard in our industry is 3%. Okay. So, and, and you could expand that out to 10 appraisers. If you gave 10 appraisers the same assignment, chances are seven out of those 10 are gonna come with a different number. Maybe three at the most out of those 10 would arrive at a similar number. And you touched on this um, when you were talking about how you got into the business. Can you talk a little bit about how the, um, what the difference is between an appraisal for a loan originator versus an appraisal where you're looking at a property that's about to go into foreclosure? Absolutely. So um, this, in appraisal, the, the key element is your scope of work. Okay. What has your client defined as your scope of work if, for the accomplishment of that report? Um, so in a mortgage origination or in a mortgage loan, that, that appraisal is ordered by the mortgage lender mm -hmm. because the lender is the one who is putting out the cash to secure this transaction. They're the ones who carry all the risk. So although the borrower pays for the report, the report belongs to the lender. In an REO type circumstance, now the lender or its assigning company owns that asset and it's in default or is about to own that asset because mm -hmm. it's in default. Instead of um, valuing that property for what two unknown people in an arm's length transaction for a move-in ready home would, would contract for, you're now looking for properties that were disposed of in this distressed environment, probably under condition of all the other homes in the area, probably not maintained as well, maybe even because of spite or the situation with the lender or the, the assigning company, they may have done a lot of damage to the home. We've inspected homes that they poured concrete down the drains oh before they moved out on foreclosure. So you know, the scope of work and what you're trying to accomplish can, can mean a lot of different things with the, with the outcome of the report. Yeah, well, and dovetailing on that, for a cash buyer who is looking to get an appraisal, um, you know, not wanting to have a private appraisal or vanity appraisal, I've heard that term, um, mm -hmm. would you recommend that they order one and specifically state an appraisal for the secondary market? 
what what would be the most accurate appraisal a cash buyer would want to order? So, uh, it, you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head with that. Um, although the cash buyer isn't obligated to, to get an appraisal, heaven forbid something happen unexpected in a short-term period. Three to six months later, some life change event happens, someone gets transferred, heaven forbid someone passes away. Most buyers do not pay cash. In fact, right. in our market currently, less than 11% of the buyers are paying cash. 89% of the people coming to view your listing are gonna require a mortgage. Mm -hmm. So if you if you've have moved down from a different state, thought you got a great deal on your piece of property, paid cash and didn't get an appraisal, you could be very, very disturbed in a short period of time when you put that property back to list right. and the buyer has to get an appraisal. Right. Um, because the differences between what can and can't be done on an appraisal for a private party and for Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac mm -hmm. are very, very different. Yeah. Well, um, talking about that, can you walk me through the process of what is, um, what's a, what is entailed with an appraisal? Absolutely. So each appraisal um, by USPAP, and that's the governing body of law for appraisals in the United States of America, um, it requires three approaches to value to come up with the, the, the appraised value based on the type or type of report or scope of work being done. So the three, in, the three approaches to value are the income approach. So that would be typically for a rental property or properties that, that you're trying to create income from. Um, the sales comparison approach, which is the most common type of appraisal, specifically in the mortgage industry, because you're using recent and proximate sales that are similar to the subject to determine the price. Mm -hmm. And the last one is the cost approach. The cost approach is most often used in insurance claims and insurance um, processing to determine what it would cost to rebuild the structure. Okay. Um, and in some areas of St. Pete and the beaches, that's, that's a very important report. We do a lot of work with um, builders and designers and architects for the FEMA 50 rule. Mm -hmm. As you know, you and I have both talked about that in prior circumstances on yep. what you're able to do to improve a property based on the FEMA guidelines. And that's what a cost appraisal typically would be used for. Do builders use that as well? So we do on a cost approach. End? Yes, absolutely. And we do a cost approach on every new construction appraisal okay. that we do as well because you know, typically your cost at, at that time should be relatively similar. Right. Well, and especially we don't have a lot of homogenous neighborhoods in St. Pete in particular. Correct. So if you have a new build in a neighborhood like Kenwood or Old Northeast, yes. it, I can imagine for an appraiser it can be difficult because there's not a lot of comparables. You're absolutely right. One of the most challenging reports we've done here this year was in the Grand Central District um, because that is such an up-and-coming area mm -hmm. and builders have been able to get some really great deals on land and put in these four-story townhouses and these unique properties to these older neighborhoods and, and it is like the old saying for Dennis, it's like pulling teeth trying to find true comparables for some of the things that are going on. So you're right, right. St. Pete in particular is, is a super challenging market for new construction, right. very challenging. Well, and other challenges, like if you are in a town home that maybe has a private elevator, 
where it's not a common feature. Or mm -hmm. I know solar panels are can be an appraiser's nightmare, especially Absolutely. you know knowing if they're owned or leased. Or yeah. um, how do you uh, account for challenges like that or adjustments that you may not have much to compare to? It's all paired sales analysis. So the the theory behind appraisal um, in that regard for adjustments is that we have to search the market and sometimes we have to go farther away than we would prefer to, but we have to find and use comparables that have those similar amenities to our subject and then adjust those comparables for inferior or superior condition. Um, you know, oftentimes, I guess 20 years ago or so, it was very simple for appraisers to do reports. It was three or four closed comparables and they were done. And mm -hmm. the banks and the lenders were quite happy. When I was talking about Fet, Fet, Fannie and Freddie guidelines a few minutes ago, you, we have a requirement now under and, Freddie and Fannie that's called bracketing, mm -hmm. which means any amenity that has what we would consider a material value to the subject we have to have a comparable that has that represented at that same or very similar amenity. So if you're on a unique sized lot in your particular neighborhood, we may have to go two or three or five miles away to find a similar size lot in similar land value area to be able to bracket your lot size. Or if you have three fireplaces in your 1920s bungalow and nobody else in your neighborhood has more than one, we have to go find a house with three mm -hmm. because we can't make what's called an across-the-board adjustment to every one of the comparables. We must have an amenity in each of our comparables. So it's not unusual. I read one this morning in review that we had nine comparable sales in there to be able to come up with the analysis. Wow. And bracketing means that you have to have one at a higher value and a lower value than the subject? Is that Typically, that's exactly what they're looking for. They're okay. looking, um, you know, we, we call it um, um, the three bears approach, mm -hmm. right? Goldilocks had to have some hotter porridge, some colder <laughs> porridge, and some right in the middle, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what the lender wants. The lender wants a superior example, an inferior example, an example pretty darn close right in the middle. So if you are a buyer and you are out and the house that you have fallen in love with is the biggest and best house on the block, you may have a difficult time getting an appraisal at that value. It's amazing that you said that, Nicole. That's exactly how that works. <laughs> if you are the most expensive, the largest, the nicest house in your neighborhood, very often you're going to have to write a check mm -hmm. for the difference because we must... If it's a government-backed loan, we must bracket with a higher sale to get to that value. We can never take three comps that are lower or all comps that are lower, adjust them up, and then call that the value. Right. We can't do it that way. So can we talk a little bit about why that is happening? Because like I alluded to in the intro, there have been a lot of changes in the appraisal industry, and, mm -hmm. and some of that goes back to the, the real estate crash, the financial crisis that we had a decade ago when you were getting started right. in the business. So what changes have um, been made to the appraisal industry? As a direct result of, of the housing crash, um, the legislators as well as the government-sponsored entities like we were talking about, Freddie and Fannie, they very quickly realized that they had no handle on appraisals in America. 
although we had some standardized forms, no one was analyzing those forms. No one was, was reading through and looking for consistencies or compiling data on inconsistencies. So the, the largest, most impactful thing that's happened since that time was the advent of the UCDP and the EAD portals. And I won't go into the acronyms. In a nutshell, every conventional loan done in America backed by government money, which this year is about 97% of the loan originations in America, those appraisals must be submitted electronically to the UCDP. Okay. UCDP then records every appraisal, grades it, gives it a quality score from one to five, gives it a, a value risk analysis for one to five, reads every comparable and every adjustment used in that report and compares it against every report that the appraiser has ever done prior to that time, plus that any report that that comparable has ever been used in by another appraiser is also compared. Wow. And in about 10 seconds, we get a computer-generated spit-out that tells us if there was any indication of fraud, any indication of overvaluation, or if any of the data has been reported differently by that appraiser or by any other appraiser for any of the comparables or the subject property. It's check, double-check, triple-check. What was going on 10 and 15 years ago, it's not happening now. We cannot overinflate a value. If we try to submit a report where we've pumped up the value, mm -hmm. that computer algorithm immediately identifies it and that report gets sent right back to us for us to explain in further detail how we justify that value. Okay, because the, the history is that appraisers were making values happen that really had no business well, happening and that was, you know, I think that was the intent at the, at the crux of the law. But, you know, what my partners and, and the really experienced appraisers and in, in the business that I've talked to over the last 10 years explained to me is the data was there, mm -hmm. you know, with stated income loans, with with the countrywide of the world and what right. was going on. There was there was plenty enough data. Mm -hmm. What the appraisers really didn't do, I think, in my humble opinion, is is they didn't raise their hand enough mm. saying, wait a minute, yeah. how come I was in this neighborhood three months ago and all these houses were selling for 400 grand? Right. And in the last three months, there's been 14 sales in this neighborhood and now the value is up to 650. Right. This is, something's not right here, right? right. No one said that. Well, it's, it wasn't the appraiser's job to say that. The mm -hmm. appraiser is tasked in reporting on the data that's in front of them. So what the government has done, what the GSEs have done, is, have said, okay, we hear you. We're gonna put some, some protocols in place that we're gonna know if that's happening in an area. And you know, as we went through the recovery over the last several years, there were many, many times where you know, the flippers came into St. Pete, bought a 900 square foot house for 40 grand, put $30,000 of repairs in it and then sold it for 225. Right. Right? And walked away with the over $100,000 profit. Right. Um and there were a lot of them, but you just you yeah. reach a ceiling to where affordability and and the practicality of the market takes over. And that's what we've seen this year. We've seen a real adjustment this year, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. We've seen a slowing, we've seen a correction in the market mm -hmm. because we have been going gangbusters for a decade. Right. We had to slow well, and it depends on the price point and the neighborhood that you're talking about. Of course. Because some 
are still on fire. Right. Casito Bayou. Yeah. You know, it's hard to find a renovated 3-2 pool home that stays on the market right. more than 30 days in Placido Bayou. I hate to jump ahead, but turnkey. You said the key thing in, yeah. in your description. Turnkey sells. Right. Turnkey sells faster than right. anything else. Yeah. But there has been a, a bit of a slowdown in, in parts of Old Northeast. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, I know a home that sold in days at 645 but older homes or homes over a million may be taking a little bit longer yeah. to sell. Well, much much more limited pool of buyer True. at that price point as well. True, right? absolutely. Um, so I, I have uh, my first time with this situation. I, I have a tendency of finding unique properties to sell. <laughs> <laughs> and this was truly a non-conforming property in a neighborhood. Okay. It was built in the 1950s as a rectory, church hmm. rectory, okay. but in a residential neighborhood. It was being sold as a primary residence, seven bedrooms, seven bathrooms, almost 4,000 square feet. Mm -hmm. It took us 14 appraisers before we found one that would appraise it as a primary residence. Right. And the lender, you know, he's, he told the lender, look, this is not going to be uh, uh, conforming to Freddie right. and right. Uh, Fanny's standards because there's just no way. Right. But in the neighborhood, like I said, it, it was a residential neighborhood. So I know that the highest and best use is a commercial property, but the right. city of St. Pete says, it's you, not zoned or right legal. yeah you right. can't do it as commercial so right. that was an interesting challenge you know yeah that's that's a very unique one typically those kinds of homes with that size they're going to convert it to an ALF they're going to make it some kind of you know commercial income producing but if you're not zoned for it and the city won't allow the variance for for your zoning you right. end up with what we call a legal non-conforming right yeah. it's legal but but the appraiser had to check the non-conforming box Yep. And you hit the nail on the head. No, no government-backed lender in the country is giving you a loan for that property. Yeah. Now you have to do private money or, or you know, equity capital. That right. those portfolio kinds of portfolio loan. loan from a local bank or, yeah. or you know, I won't name names of lenders, but a non-QM right. type lender. And it was non-conforming not only in the use, but it used to be connected to a school which that had been sold off to the YMCA, and so the setbacks didn't conform because oh, wow. you know yeah. they were too close, mm -hmm. and the plumbing didn't connect to the main sewer line. It went through the school and then connected. So at the last minute, um, the seller had to give the buyer a credit to get that connected to yeah, the main. Yeah, because that's the, yeah. the title company or, and the city said, you know, it's gotta be connected to the main sewer line yep. in order to close. Yeah, that's, you know, that's a big contingent and, and it's the house that we lived in in Clearwater, I would have never thought in a million years, we had a septic tank in the backyard. Oh yeah. I bought the house and I didn't even know <laughs> that we had septic. And then, you know, one day I, I tripped over the lid when I cut the grass too oh, low. And I'm like, what is this water tank in my backyard? <laughs> well, it wasn't water. Right. But, um, so say we were connected to the main, thank goodness, but oh, wow. many of the houses in Pinellas County were built that way. Yeah. And, and that is a stipulation that, that for lenders That you would never well. guess. I, I sold a house on Lakeview. 
Right. And right. Um, wasn't until we looked at the seller's disclosure that we saw it's on a septic tank. Yep. And yeah, yeah. That our can house be was Lakeview and Brookside. That yeah. was that was the same neighbor. We're like, what? So anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, how would you recommend a seller or a homeowner prepare for an appraisal? Um, any tips to maximize the value of their home? So, you know, like we talked about, turnkey sells fastest. Mm -hmm. Kitchens and bathrooms are, you know, are in my experience and in and, and our appraising experience, kitchens and bathroom motivate buyers more than anything else. Yeah. Those are your major, major expenses. So if you have an updated kitchen, and let me qualify updated, you know, updated is not you left the 1957 cabinets in there, you put new poles on them, painted it white, and then put granite countertops on top of it. Th right. that, that's not really updated, that's new countertops. Mm -hmm. So you're gonna get far less credit for that than your neighbor that went and bought real wood cabinets and the granite and the poles and the European sliders and the corner with the Lazy Susan in it. You know, those little things don't cheap out when you're doing your updates to your kitchens and your bathrooms. If you want to save a little money, get laminate instead of hardwood, right? Mm -hmm. That's where you can save some money. In your back patio, get the second tier pavers instead of the four inch thick the brick, right? Or, yeah, though, save place money in those places, mm -hmm. not in your kitchens and bathrooms. Second side is if you don't have the money to redo your kitchens and bathrooms before you sell, Understand that appraisers are people, right? And perception is reality. You know that we're coming a couple of days before we get there, especially for a refinance type mm -hmm. transaction, right? You know we're coming. Make sure the house is clean. Make sure it's presentable. When the appraiser per first pulls up, first impressions last forever. It's not just in dating, it's in appraisal too. Mm -hmm. Make sure that the front yard is cut neatly. Make sure that you have some cute flowers in the front, that you have a fresh couple of bags of mulch thrown out there. Mulch costs $2 a bag, right? Mm -hmm. For $50 at Home Depot, you can make your front yard look amazingly better. Touch up areas of wear and tear. You got a door frame that's got some little problems on the bottom and you can see that maybe the water might have been baiting up there for a few years. Get the wood putty and just putty that up real cute and paint it white and do the smaller touch up to the eye items that show through your care and your pride of ownership because that's most importantly what, what the appraiser is going to catch on. Yeah, and I, I like to tell sellers, you know, a can of paint typically costs $55, $65 but when used the right way, can bring you $5,400 in value. That's, that's a good analogy, Nicole. That's exactly right. You know, perception is reality. The cleaner, the fresher it looks, the better the opinion. When the appraiser goes back to their office to, to finalize the comparables that they're going to use in comparison to your property, all they can do is go on MLS and look at the pictures mm -hmm. and remember the mental pictures and the digital pictures that they took of your home and compare them to the pictures of the other houses that are on MLS. And that is literally how they're determining where they think adjustments should be done. And that is where, as sellers, I would urge you to use a real estate agent that has professional photos. Absolutely. Because it can make a huge difference. And as you're mentioning, in your appraisal, 
that right. can oh it's so true you know when we go through and we see the listing that has like four of the little tiny square pictures <laughs> like someone took on their cell phone and then uploaded yeah. mobily we we can't use that comparable Right. Because if we can't see what the true finishes are, no matter what the write-up says, we have to be able to see the pictures to sign the certification that says we viewed the property mm -hmm. or we viewed an accurate depiction of the property. So the little tiny pictures where we can't tell if it's laminate or granite, we can't use it. Right. Um, what information is beneficial for an appraiser to know? So I have a, a little bullet point list that we always hand out, right? And when we're doing um, the inspection scheduling, typically we run through the questions. So the first one is we always ask for a recent list of improvements. And if you have receipts for what you bought, that's even better because there's, there's obviously a big difference between, you know, engineered wood and hardwood. There's right. a difference between formica and granite, right? Mm -hmm. There's a difference between granite and marble, right? right. So what elements did you update and with what materials mm -hmm. um, and then always maintenance is good right your your big four the same thing that you got to get a four point for mm -hmm. your roof your HVAC your electrical your plumbing if all those are updated and you've done your kitchen and your bathrooms you're getting top of market pricing mm -hmm. right you just have to think about it especially if you're in like a 1958 house 1957 house your roof is 54 years old. Well, it's probably 14 now because you probably had to replace it at about 40 and now it's 14 years old. You're halfway through the life almost of that roof. So you may not be the very top end of your neighborhood, although you think you are because your roof is now almost half life. Your AC may only be eight years old, but the average ACs now are 10 to 15 year units. Right, especially with the changeover of the Freon to the new exactly. systems and is it obsolete because yep. it can't be yep. repaired. So I think, you know, being realistic in your level of improvements and where you are truly helps you sell your house faster, right? Mm -hmm. Having a more realistic understanding of where in that range you lie because that's literally what appraisers are going to do. They're going to look at all the comparables within your defined neighborhood area and they're going to say from the lowest to the highest, they're going to kind of put them on a chart, so to speak, right? And based on their condition and their updates and all those other similar items, they're going to place your value where in that chart you match the closest. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the easiest way to figure out when using Zillow and Realtor.com and you know what the inside of your house looks like. Get on Zillow and start looking at all the insides of the other houses. Right. And Or I... When I'm working with a seller, it takes a little bit longer, mm -hmm. but sometimes, especially if I think the value of their home is different from what a seller thinks, I schedule showings of active properties in the vicinity of their home and say, let's go look at these and you look at it from a buyer's eye and tell me how it compares to your home. That's exactly Because right. that's what you're gonna be competing against and that's what the buyers are going to think as they're going through your home and your neighbor's home. You know, it's so true that you say that, Nicole, because besides looking at the pictures, the other part that the appraiser is doing is when they're in that neighborhood, they are driving all those comparables. Mm -hmm. And curb appeal from one property to another may be a dramatic dramatic difference yeah if you if you have a shotgun type house and, and your two side houses are 10 or 12 feet away 
but the comparables that the selling agent is giving you are on 15,000 square foot lots and you're 45 feet away from house to house. Are those really comparable properties, right? right? So well said, well said. You have to drive your comps, you have to know and apples even go apples. inside, apples. you know, because... Well, we're not allowed to go inside, but we, right. we get the pictures. Yeah. But, you, you know, that's that's a great tool. Because some pictures aren't professional. That's and right. And, or they... I've had people say, is this the, is this the home that I've been looking at? Because it doesn't look anything like the pictures. That's right. So I always think it's best to yeah. go inside. Like the pictures on Zillow might be five years old. Right. True. We've got to say that with the caveat. Yeah. You don't know how old they are. You, you know, you just don't know sometimes. Right. And what... Um, elements of, of an appraisal are the most disputed? Um, condition. Condition is typically the most disputed. Um, you know, all of us as human beings, we, we all carry personal pride, right? Mm-hmm. So we all, I shouldn't say we all, but most of us feel like we do what we're supposed to do in maintaining our house and take and being clean and upkeep and maintenance so we always have a personal higher value of our own belongings than most other people on the planet right mm-hmm. so that that is typically the the hardest thing you know and and we kind of know when we're going into those because we'll see a sales contract that that looks like it's pretty much at the top of the market and we read the listing notes and it's like a very well maintained home. It's been cleaned thoroughly. Very everything is functional. Well, that tells us it's got the original stove in there, probably, <laughs> and the original avocado green bathrooms are still in there, right? Yes. Um, because if not, it would have said updated remodeled, bathroom, right. remodeled kitchen, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you it it just the demographic of our neighbor of our area of our Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Um, is not unlike any other part of the country, right? Value Centric's in 23 states. We have a couple hundred appraisers um, on staff, and it's really no different in Florida than it is in Maryland or Illinois or California. Everyone always thinks their house is worth more than what it really is. So for additions and things that where you may have a... Uh, numbers don't match up with what the the county appraiser has. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with those situations? So there's there's kind of two roads there. So um, again, going back to mortgage lending, which is our topic today, and in, in the residential side, um, conventional loans allow the appraiser to determine if the additions were done in a workmanlike and professional manner, and if they were then they're able to count those additions in the gross living area, in the square footage. Um, Under FHA guidelines, even if they think that, if there's no permit... I was just going to ask that. FHA or USDA loans require permits. Okay. Conventional does not require a permit. FHA and USDA require permits. It could be made... It could be done perfectly. A general contractor could have owned the house, did it all himself, did, you know, brought in professionals to do everything, but he didn't pull a permit. It doesn't count. He's got to go downtown and get the permit like everybody else. Wow. So, and that's for FDA or for FHA, FHA and USDA, USDA mandatory. And then, um, you know, we were talking before we started recording about um, single families that have accessory dwelling units. 
um, and you were saying the square footage isn't considered correct. The same. Correct. So that's you know um, single family with an ADU uh, is or an accessory dwelling unit an ADU a mother-in-law or a, a garage, garage apartment. apartment you know different all the different terminology very common in in St. Petersburg very it's normal a lot of comparable sales with that data but what we do see sometimes is the ADU square footage being added into the main house and then it's advertised as 2,500 or 2,600 square feet when it's really 15 or 1,600 square feet main house with the six to 800 square foot detached apartment. Mm -hmm. If the roof line does not cover all of the square footage, it, it cannot be counted together, Got right? It. it has to be continuous roof and structure line. Um, so as soon as that, and you know, I worked with an agent on a property last year. It was a lovely Craftsman steel built home in St. Pete, but for whatever reason, the developer decided to not connect the two parts of the house that he built. Mm -hmm. And the front part was like 2,400 square feet. The back part was 1,300, 1,400 square feet, Wow! but they weren't connected. And the house next door was built almost identical but they connected it all and it had a walkway breezeway well that house is 3600 square feet yours is 2400 with an adu and the difference in value was over a hundred thousand wow yeah he was not happy with us but there's nothing we can do it's yeah. though we talked about guidelines that's one of the fa the guidelines you cannot mm -hmm. count that unless it's all under one roof so what we do in that scenario, because I would bet I know what your next question is, right? <laughs> it's back to that paired sales analysis. We must find the main homes that are of similar size mm -hmm. plus detached ADU dwellings. They might be over a garage. They might be freestanding. They might be a, you know, a, a variance of different types. But we have to find similar comparables with those amenities. And in an ideal world, how far from the com the subject home are they? How much variance is there in square footage? Right. And how far back do you go so when looking at those comparables? The maximum that we want to go under government guidelines, Fannie Freddie guidelines, we never want to go more than a year or a mile, if at all possible. The closer and the sooner, the better. And that's kind of how it works. The closest and the most recent, if we find... 10 closed sales within a quarter mile in the last three months that are all very similar to the subject, that's as far away as we're going mm -hmm. and that's as far back in time as we're going because we have enough relevant data, right? But if there's not and there's only two sales, then we're going to kind of open time and distance parameters until we find enough data to make a credible report. So that's that part. And then I forgot the other part of your question already because I talked too much. Um, no, it was just, uh, oh, the variance in square footage. Yes, so variance. So rule of thumb, we only want to be 20% off of any number. Age, lot size, square footage, one bedroom up, one bedroom down, one bathroom up, one bathroom down. Um, that's the tightest. And that's kind of how we base our search parameters. We're going to look a mile in a year within 20% of size, 20% of lot size, one bedroom up, one bath, one bedroom down, and then narrow, start narrowing down our list from there. Okay. And um, I know that 
that when buyers, when I am working with buyers, they're always saying, well, you know, the house next door, the, the price per square foot was X. What is an appraiser's view of price per square foot? Um, so price per square foot is representative, but you have to understand the smaller the house, the higher the price per square foot, the bigger the house, the lower the price per square foot. So if your subject is 1,200 and the house next door is 2,000 square feet, the price per square foot is not similar because, because the pure size of the home. So appraisers do not use price per square foot. Right, that, that gets calculated in our software, but that's not a data point that we're looking at. We are comparing by what I just described to you, by size, distance, time, lot, and then bedroom count, bathroom count, age, design style, appeal, a curb appeal, all those items go into consideration and a range of value is created, right? And once that range of value is created, where does my subject in its present existing condition, where does it lie on that range? Where, what is it most similar to in that range? And then the condition, you're gonna be looking at something that's, you know, if you've got Formica countertops, you wanna look at comparable homes with Formica countertops, yep. not with granite countertops, even though there may be one with granite that's close by, if, if there's a granite comparable a quarter mile away and a Formica comparable a half a mile away, you're gonna go with the, the one that's a little bit further because of the condition is similar? We, we would probably report on both of them okay. if we thought they were within that range, right? Um, but we would adjust up or down, like we were talking about earlier, for the inferior or the superior amenity, right? Okay. So my subject is Formica or laminate countertop, right? Mm -hmm. So here's an example of one with the laminate with that's a quarter mile away or a half mile away. Here's one that's only a quarter mile away. Everything else is, is pretty much equal, but they did granite kitchen countertops and maybe cabinets. So we're gonna give them a condition adjustment up for what they did. Um, and we may take away from the inferior one, right? To, to make it less valuable as compared to our, to our subject. Okay. And, um... Given the strict federal regulations governing the appraisal process, is there anything a con consumer can do if they have a low appraisal? Yes, yeah, so every lender is required to have a reconsideration of value uh, process in place. Um, and, and every lender has the right to have every appraisal reviewed by, by another appraiser or by a third party. Um, to determine the quality of that report. And if they think the quality of that report is insufficient, then the lender has every right to order another appraisal. Understanding that that first appraisal does not go away, it's mm -hmm. still in the database, it was still done, but the lender does have the ability to order a second if after the review and the consideration process, it's determined that that report is insufficient or of low quality. After the second report is completed, the lender can choose whichever one they want to use that they think is the most credible and most reliable report. And is it the FHA appraisal that if it doesn't meet the um, list price that it stays with 
the property for a certain period of time? Well, every appraisal stays with every property for okay. six months. Okay. Um, and that value is considered valid for six months. Okay. Um, in new construction, it's 120 days. In mortgage transactions, existing homes is, is six months. So after six months, it the system still sees that a report was done seven months ago, but that doesn't count now. Got right. It. It's 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 a new ball game. But within that six month period, and that goes for all government loans. It's not just FHA. That's conventional, USDA and FHA. And in the VA world, they have what's called the Tidewater Rule. Mm. And if VA loans automatically, if the appraiser thinks they're not gonna make contract price value, they send out what's called a Tidewater request. Um, very similar to to a reconsideration request, right? Or identical to a reconsideration request. It's just their name is Tidewater. And it gives the agent and the buyer and the seller all the opportunity to submit whatever comparable sales they think they should and whatever information that they could give that they think would help either support or, you know, lower what, whichever case they're trying to do the, the, the value. Okay. And then lastly, um, what are some instances or what is an instance where an appraisal may not be necessary? Um, so, you know, that's a big topic nowadays. Appraisal waivers are, are, you know, have come about in the last year, year and a half or so. And, you know, we talked about the huge amount of activity that we had in our market, you know, post the, the crash. Mm -hmm. Although I'm a partner in an appraisal firm, I also am a consumer. And if I just bought my house a year ago, right, and I was able to get a good little deal on it because I'm a savvy consumer and I got a great deal, and I've lived in that house for a year, I made the down payment, I made all the payments, no one has changed, you know, there's been no title change. Why should I have to pay $500 again for an appraisal when for $30 an AVM, an automated valuation model can be run, just like the ones you and I use all the time, right? So I could pay $30 for an AVM. I've lived in that house. They have all the title data. They have a report that's not even a year old yet. And they know that I got in with equity the day that I moved in. So why should I pay again? So I'm, I'm completely in favor of waivers in that kind of scenario. It's a recent transaction. We have all the data. They, they were below appraised value when they bought the house, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're, you check those boxes, you shouldn't have to pay twice. I'm completely in support of that. Short of that, I don't think anybody ever should buy anything without understanding what the value is right. whether it's a house or a car or a diamond or anything else if if you are going to make a major investment and i think a house would be considered a major investment yeah for most people it's, it's their it's, largest it's investment kind of penny wise and pound foolish to think that you're the expert on value when you're an engineer or you're an accountant like you're you're an expert at that but you're not an expert at valuing real estate right, right? or you've only done it once or twice in your life and the last time was 12 years ago. Yeah, there's so so many variables, so many variables yeah. involved, especially moving in an area like ours. You drive down a street in St. Pete, right? And we'll pick on Northeast St. Pete, right? You drive down a street in that neighborhood, you have a Frank Lloyd Wright from the 70s, you got a bungalow from the 20s, you got a VA from the 50s, you got a contemporary, I don't know what, neo-eclectic from <laughs> 1990 whatever. Yeah. And you know, and we were in North St. Pete last week, we did a, a the dome, the big geo, geodesic dome with an ADU built in. Yeah. 
it's not just you know a mile in a year and bam I got all my comps right. there there's you really have to know what you're looking at and what you're comparing to make sure that you're going to be in line with what the lender is allowing right and that's where like the Zillow's estimate can be so oh, yeah. so tricky because I've lived in communities Colorado Springs I've spent a lot of time in the Phoenix area and you know there are a lot of neighborhoods there that are very homogenous same right. builder same floor plan you know it's pretty easy to know what the value is going to be if right. you know what your neighbors is because you have the exact same house mm -hmm. but to your point here there's so much variety right. and in age condition in a short you know, area, a small proximity of area absolutely. that. Oh, absolutely. And now you add all the condos in, you add all the knockdown rebuilds in, and mm -hmm. it just, you know, Pinellas County is what, 97.9% built out. Yeah. So it, it's, it's repurposing and remodeling and, and it's, you know, if we were in Southeast Hillsboro, it'd be really, we wouldn't have to have this podcast today, Nicole. It's pretty simple, right? For, so, you know, when we're going into builder subdivisions where they're cranking out 1,200 houses a year. And right, they or have down five, in Manatee. Right, or Manatee or Pasco, right? Yep. And they have seven models, you know? Yep. And 90% of the sales are five models. Yeah. It makes it pretty, you know, that's pretty simple. Mm -hmm. But do that in Northeast St. Pete. Compare Snell Isle to Placido Bayou to Riviera Estates. Right. 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 Who has the water access? Who's got the better bridge? What bridge are you behind? Do you have riparian rights? How deep water access do you really have? Can you get past the bridge? Right? right. You know, so there's just so many factors, so many things that go into it in our in our lovely St. Pete and Pinellas County areas. Yeah. Well, thank you very, very much. This has been a wealth of information. And uh, for people that want to know or need to know about the appraisal, you know, this is going to be a great tool for them. And for sellers who may be considering listing their home, I highly recommend the AVM uh, tool that you just mentioned. I, mm -hmm. I reach out to you often yep. when I may have a dispute with a seller or we may be thinking on different wavelengths for a third party, you know, neutral um, number. And um, so if someone wants to order one of those from you or has a question about appraisal, what's the best way to reach out to you? Oh, you can always get us on our website. We have an, um, a contact us inquiry page at valuecentric.com that you can always reach out to. Or you can call us here in, at the office. Our local number is 813-252-1140. That's Value Centric right here in lovely Pinellas County, Florida. All right. Well, John, thank you so very much. Thank you, Nicole. It was a pleasure, and hopefully we were able to, to add some education on appraisal to, to the world here. Most definitely. Good stuff. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe so you can listen to future episodes. And... If you have a show topic that you'd like to share with me or have a real estate related question that you'd like to ask, I'd love to hear it. You can call or text me at 719-201-5022 or you can reach me via email at nicole at 
sellingstpetefl.com. That's N-I-C-O-L-E at S-E-L-L-I-N-G-S-T-P-E-T-E-F-L dot com. Thank you.